support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. Perfect. So firstly, thank you, Noah, for taking the time to do this. Um, the most important thing we do at the beginning of these is to frame how it is that you found photography. Now, obviously, there's many different ways that people could choose to express themselves creatively, be it music or art, or in, in your case, photography. What is it that led you to the camera in particular? I would say I originally got interested in photography uh, back when I was in high school. Um, and so that was kind of my first introduction to it. And then I went to this kind of unusual kind of alternative high school where as you got further along, you were able to kind of focus more on things that interested you once you had kind of completed your, uh, your basic uh, requirements for your curriculum. And so uh, from there, I kind of spent the last couple of years of high school really focusing very seriously on photography. And then um, I actually for kind of my senior high school project, published my first uh, photography book that was just a, a handmade one that I had done, you know, inkjet prints of. And I had a friend who, uh, who, who published cookbooks or something like that. And they had a binding machine that they let me use to put together, you know, a few copies of it that I made. Um, and so from there, I, I feel like I've really always been pretty much full in on my photography. I, I went to, uh, got my, my BFA in photography. And so, um, since then I've, I really, you know, been focusing on it uh, pretty much all the time. And what is it that you actually get from photography on, on a personal level that makes you want to keep doing it? Um, I guess it, it is like you were talking about it. It really is just, uh, I, I almost, I feel compelled to make photo photographs. Um, as far as when I was, uh, you know, done with college and stuff, thinking about what I was going to do, um, I ended up going into, I, I run a custom lab that specializes in working with artists for a living because I wanted to be able to keep my photography something that I really just did for myself. Um, you know, I wanted to keep the love that I had for, for making images and not make it something that I had to be taking pictures of cereal boxes or some of their kind of product stuff or whatever that wasn't something I was into and that burned me out from uh, wanting to actually take photographs uh, for myself. And the, the, it's taken me 89 episodes of this to work it out. So I'm definitely not a quick learner, but I am now starting to understand this is probably the most dreaded question I can ask anybody, but how would you describe your style as a photographer? Um, I would say my, my style as a photographer is... I'm very, I'm interested in kind of finding, finding interest or sometimes beauty, but not necessarily in kind of ordinary everyday things. I'm, I'm someone who's very drawn to kind of the vernacular of the landscapes and just the, you know, kind of the, the language of the world that's around us, uh, the built environment, things that other people probably see on a regular basis, but are not necessarily things that they uh, take time and stop and think about um, when they see them. But those are the kind of things that I'm interested in, uh, in general. So um, I would say a lot of my, my work is, is definitely kind of more of a contemporary landscape type work. Um, but I, I have kind of two different um, main modes of shooting. One, I shoot a, an awful lot with a, an instant camera, now a, a Fuji Instax wide. But I also uh, really like working with large format, particularly 8x10 uh, view cameras, which is kind of like on the opposite end of the spectrum. So, um, but yeah, that's so definitely the, you know, things within kind of more of vernacular landscapes are really my, my main focus for my work. Well, like you said, those are two two forms of photography that are at very different ends of the spectrum. How do you prepare differently for going out with your Instax compared to going out with the, the large format? I'm assuming large format is a lot more deliberate. Yeah, and that's actually basically I got into shooting large format first, um, originally with like four by five. And so I was doing a lot of four by five shooting and it's it's a process I really enjoy with the large format. It's very slow and contemplative. It's almost this kind of meditative process. You go out there, you really take your time, you, you know, 
decide, okay, well, you're looking through the ground glass under the dark cloth and you say, you know, I really, this image would be better if I, I moved over two feet so I could really get these tangent points between two things lined up. I mean, you control literally everything, even manually cocking the shutter and, you know, adjusting the, uh, the aperture and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted an outlet of something that was kind of the total opposite of that, where I felt like I could be free to take any type of subject that you didn't have to... Basically, the only thing you really can control on an instant camera is what you decide to take a picture of and how you frame it and then when to click the shutter. But there's really very little controls on it. And so it kind of was something that uh, gave me the kind of the freedom I needed uh, to be do, doing something separately from... Because there's certain pictures that... I mean, I, I like I said, I love shooting large format, but there's certain types of images that you just really can't make with that. Something that's happening fast, that's not really an image you can make. Um, you know, maybe you just see something that's kind of sitting down on the ground or it's at a high angle. Those aren't really things when you're using this big camera on a tripod that lends itself um, towards pointing the camera in different directions like that. So... It just is, it's, it's a much uh, kind of freer off the cuff way of shooting for me. I mean, in terms of, I don't want to be negative here, but in terms of failures, you're going to probably be a lot less frustrated with something going wrong with the Instax than with the large format and, and also be able to probably correct for it a bit quicker because it's a little bit quicker for you to see the final image. How, so I've never shot large format and I'm fascinated by it. What's the frustration levels when something goes wrong? Uh, I guess one of the frustrations is just that it, particularly these days with what's happened with film. I mean, shooting large format is extremely expensive uh, now. So when you do make an image, you uh, you usually want it to count. Um, so yeah, if you have some kind of technical issue go wrong, obviously that's always a, a rather frustrating disappointment. But I'm a, I'm a very technically oriented person myself anyway. And so I actually... Um, that's something that appeals to me about large format stuff is that you really make sure you have everything set and you know, you want to get it right. And so it's something that, uh, you know, I'd have to say over my time after, you know, understanding the process and getting used to it, I, I usually don't have too many, too many mistakes happen when I'm doing it. Occasionally the, the biggest thing you usually run into is that you will notice that you have, uh, you've loaded up your sheet of film and you forgot to close uh, the shutter. Um, and if right. you've already pulled the slide, you basically, you've ruined that sheet. So you might as well just take it out of the holder and throw it away. So you don't waste your money on developing a completely blank picture. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think to be honest with you, my IQ is up there in the same level as my shoe size. So I probably won't give large format a go until I've probably figured out a way of foolproofing it. Why why large format when obviously there's medium format and 35mm film available in general in general terms a lot more widely available and a lot cheaper? Why specifically large format? Um I think what originally drew me to it is um, you know, at the time I had been before that shooting 35 or, you know, shooting digitally, which, you know, this would have been back in like 2000 and uh, 2005 or so, something like that. Um, when digital cameras are a long way from where they've come now. And so the quality you could get from, from those or even shooting 35 millimeter film, uh, seeing, you know, other photographers work that I admired and in photography books and things like that, exhibitions, you'd look at it and you'd say, Hmm, there's stuff that I, I really can't quite achieve the look that they're getting with their stuff their images with the way I'm shooting and then realizing that those artists were using large format cameras themselves. I feel like something kind of clicked with me and it was like, okay, here, this is how they're achieving that goal. And so like that type of uh, resolution and quality that you can get, particularly from, like I said, four by five, but definitely eight by 10 where you, there's such a, such a depth and richness to the images that even when you're seeing, you know, even a, a contact size print or actually looking at the, um, I usually shoot transparencies uh, with large format film. And so even looking at the transparency, even though it's just the size of the original film, there's so much detail and depth in there. And then you can make, if you want to make a really large scale print, I mean, I, there's a, when I, one of the first things I was, when I was shooting eight by 10, I remember taking this image of a, um, 
of a billboard and they're actually something that I could not see with my eyes in the scene or even through the thing. But uh, when you look through the viewfinder and then actually seeing the film, you can see that there's actually very small, like handwritten notes that probably one of the billboard installers had written up there. Seeing that the film wow. like can capture that level of detail is just really um, exciting. And so it's crazy. Yeah. Um, when you're shooting too, like I said, with four by five, but definitely with eight by 10, when you're shooting, even focusing is really easy because you can find some little detail somewhere in the scene um, while you're looking through the ground glass through a loop and say, oh, look at here's some little text written on a, you know, on a little sign somewhere or on the, you know, the side of a electrical box or something like that. And you can actually focus in that, get the text really sharp. And then like, you know, that your focus is spot on because it's so easy to really pinpoint what you're focusing on, particularly with the larger format. Four by five can be a little bit harder to focus with like a lot, a wider lens. Um, but with eight by 10 and a little bit longer lens, I mean, you, it's really, so there's, there's, like I said, there's just that really the joy of the process shooting it. And then the results that you get are kind of um, really next level stuff that makes you makes you feel like you really captured something in the the best possible way that you could have. Well, you you mentioning prints there, and I'll be honest, I do have a bit of a hidden agenda with contacting you in particular. On top of already really enjoying your work, is is the fact that you seem to have great emphasis on the physical print of photography and the importance of having physical print of photography and. I just wondered what it is about printing your images that is different from the way that most people consume their photography now, which is just viewing it online. What What is the benefits of printing? Uh, I mean, I think that there's, there's definitely something you can get from seeing uh, a print that you're not really, I mean, seeing things online is great. Um, and it definitely opens up the, uh, the opportunity for so many more people to see photography than would have seen it, you know, if they could only see a printed version, whether that's actually a, you know, an exhibition print or whether that's a, in a book. Um, but it's generally not something that people spend as much time with. Um, a lot, you know, think of like Instagram, obviously, is kind of a big thing now. It's a very kind of ephemeral, basically, it's like an image exists for 24 hours and then there's a good chance that most people will never see it again or even think of it. So most right. people just, you know, you see something for maybe two seconds and then you swipe by it. Um, when with work existing in a printed space, um, it really has a chance to kind of have a longer life that you really can kind of uh, get more appreciation out of it that maybe you wouldn't have necessarily um, had if it, you're just seeing it digitally. That's something particularly with uh with books, photography books or something I'm very big into. In addition to being a photographer myself, I also run a, a gallery and publishing project called Subjectively Objective that um, really uh, publishing a photography, you know, magazines and books and stuff like that is, is a big thing for me that I, I really enjoy doing that both for my own work, but also, uh, you know, curating and editing and putting together uh, publications of other photographers' work that I enjoy. Ah, well, the, the mention of other photographers' work, I'm going to put a pin in that because I do want to come back to that. But if we talk about f physical galleries for a second, I think that there's obviously going to be a social element to having a physical gallery because it's like-minded people coming together to view work and then converse on it in a way that I don't think is possible online. What else is so important about physical galleries to you? Uh, I, like I said, I feel like it, it really, it can be a much more uh, immersive experience than just looking at something on the screen, being able to see, see prints in real life, whether they're smaller size prints that really kind of are more intimate, make you want to, you know, get up close and examine the fine details of them, or whether they're really large scale prints that kind of have this um, almost impressive atmosphere that really kind of consumes you. Um, yeah, and there's definitely obviously that you're right, the social aspect of having a gallery space, whether it's, you know, people coming in, maybe just, you know, a few people throughout the day come in and look at things, you get to have a conversation with them about the, the work that's being shown, or whether it's mm -hmm. like an opening where you do have a lot of people there, they're all looking at the work and talking about it together. I mean, that's a very cool thing. And it's just uh, seeing, seeing shows is definitely a 
a cool way to be able to uh, appreciate work and um, get some depth out of it that you definitely aren't going to get from looking at someone's website, even if it's you know the really great stuff that you're looking at. I mean, to head back to the supporting other artists point, um, you seem to be a, a fantastic example for someone that's obviously has a tremendous enjoyment in other people's photography and an enjoyment in the art as a whole. You, you, you seem to be someone that just enjoys photography and enjoys great photographers. It seems to me that the film community is much better at celebrating other photographers and kind of uniting to promote each other's work compared to the more mainstream digital realm of uh, photography, especially online. What is it about supporting other artists that's so important? And and what do you get from doing that? I mean, I guess I I personally get a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction in um, helping promote other people's work in the fact that, you know, I think of when I was first starting out, how excited it would have made me to have someone say, I like your work and I I want to show it, whether that's on, you know, showing it on Instagram or on a, on an online gallery website, or even if someone said they wanted to publish it, I mean, that would have just been so exciting to me. It would have really encouraged me to keep on, you know, wanting to grow with my own work that I hope that's something I can be doing for other photographers, um, giving them maybe sometimes their first experience where someone else has taken an interest in their work and, and wants to show it or wants to publish it, um, hopefully that can encourage them to say, you know, let me continue pursuing this and, uh, you know, grow and get even better. And is, is Instagram curation, because obviously you are someone that does a great deal of work to showcase other people's work online as well. Is that as much about just trying to share as much work that you enjoy as possible? Or is it about trying to grow the community beyond your own taste? Uh, that's actually, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that as really my curation is something that, uh, stems out very much from my own personal interests as a photographer. And so I guess it's kind of a mixture of, I obviously, it is helping build a community of like-minded people, but really my curation is oftentimes is really me finding the type of work that I would have liked to have made myself. Um, and so seeing images someone else made and it's like, oh man, that's a great image. I would have loved to have taken that photograph myself, even if I may have taken a totally different photograph if I was in that same place at the same time. You know, sometimes I see people's work and it's definitely, you know, framed and composed in a way that I know that I, I would not have done. But it's something that's like, oh man, I really, I really love the way they did that. And so I really like, um, like I said, particularly the last couple of things I've done. I did a book that came out last year called Observations in the Ordinary, which was actually, was a, it was a call for entry. Um, and so had a lot of people submit from all over the world. And then I took and uh, put together a book that had work from 134 different photographers. Each page of the book is the work of a different photographer, but uh, it's put together and curated and sequenced in such a way that I would say, and hopefully other people feel this way too, that it, there's a, a real kind of consistency that runs through it, that it feels like this work is connected, even though it's from so many different people who weren't necessarily thinking um, about the same things when they were making the photographs. But like I said, hopefully the way I've assembled it, it, uh, it feels like a cohesive whole together. Something that I see as being a bit of an issue with um, aspiring photographers is um, a great deal of focus on the subject of an image and not necessarily the person that created the image and developing that taste for the reason that you enjoyed that photographer's interpretation of the subject. People seem to get too hung up. I think maybe because I come from the portrait world, people get very fixated on the person in the photo as opposed to the person taking the photo. Do you think it's important that aspiring photographers start to really analyze what it is that they do and don't like in other work and kind of develop a taste that they're a little bit more consciously aware of as opposed to just subconsciously aware of? Yes. I mean, I think, like I said, going back to uh, what I was talking about, my gallery and publishing projects, Subjectively Objective, the reason I actually uh, named the project that is that that's kind of my uh, my philosophy about photography is that, you know, people sometimes think of photography as this very objective medium. You know, you take a picture and it shows the, the truth or, you know, this is what this thing really looked like. 
But when you think about it, um, really, anytime anyone takes a picture, whether it's conscious or not, you're making a lot of very subjective choices. I mean, the moment you choose to take the photograph, what you choose to include and exclude. Like I think of, there's this uh, image that I like to use to, to describe this um, by the photographer Stephen Shore um, from his American Surfaces um, series. And it's this image of uh, the Badlands somewhere. And in the front of the frame, there's a guardrail. Um, and so you have this thing where it's clearly, you're seeing this kind of beautiful thing, but it's from the side of the road and it really changes the way the picture looks. Had he stepped a few feet forward and taken the picture uh, without the guardrail in it, it may have looked like this very serene, picturesque landscape, but by stepping back and including that, it has much more of a, you know, here's the contrast between the natural world and the built environment. So everyone's making those type of choices every time they take a picture, whether they know it or not. And so I think that really um, people embracing the fact that what they're doing with photography is always, it's a very personal thing. It's really more about how that photographer, that artist, how they see the world that I think is, is part of the interest in it. You know, there's, um, with me and what I'm putting together as far as curation, things like that, you know, there's really a lot of the subject matter is very similar between a lot of artists. But I think what's kind of interesting and much like maybe music is that if you're really into us, you'll be able to pick out and say, oh, well, this this band is, you know, has this particular thing they're doing and this other one has something different. Whereas someone who, who doesn't really enjoy that genre of music probably says it all sounds exactly the same. Um, if it's something you're really into and you like, you uh, like to focus on and see those subtle details and subtle differences. And so photography is definitely something like that. I mean, we're at the, the place now in the world where everything is pretty much done before, been done before. There's no, no one making photographs of any kind that are totally new. No one's ever seen anything like that before. And so really all you have left is just to make work that is something that personally is interesting to you and, you know, shows what, what you're interested in, in your vision for things. I mean, it's quite interesting because you're talking about like the bias of the photographer, regardless of whether they mean to impart it on the viewer or not. What's in your opinion, obviously, what's the responsibility of a photographer when it comes to their interpretation of a scene? Is it, is it their responsibility to make sure they're being as honest as possible with what they see? Or, you know, is it their responsibility to try and cover more than just their own perspective? No, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's incumbent on the photographer to, to show anything more than what was interesting to them. Um, I don't think that, like I said, I don't think there's actually any one specific truth in any particular photograph or scene being photographed. I mean, that's, that's really going to be something that each photographer is going to have their own idea in mind when they're taking a photograph. And even after that, once the photograph is taken, what other people take from that photograph, you know, the photographer doesn't have any control over it at that point. Someone else may get something totally different out of their picture than they had intended their self. But I mean, that's part of, I think that's part of the joy as photography as a medium that it's definitely it's very open to uh, everyone can, you know, kind of take what they want from it. I mean, it's a bit of an open-ended question. I do personally enjoy asking broad questions on these podcasts. In, in terms of your perspective, you obviously spend a lot of time looking at other people's work. On a general scale, what's missing in photography right now? What, what, what is missing in terms of the soul of photography? Because I feel like with the rise of digital photography, we've got more people than ever taking pictures, but it doesn't feel like we're getting exponentially better at it. And we're not seeing more and more iconic photographers kind of lift their head up above the bunker. So what's missing that's stopping that from happening, considering there's a camera in everyone's hand? Uh, I think I think part of what's missing is... Um something that's definitely been lost with all of the good things that digital photography has brought about. It's definitely um, overwhelmed and saturated people with the amount of images that are out there. So I think there's definitely less time being spent with uh, maybe really good photography 
because there's such an overwhelming amount of not very good or mediocre photography that people are being bombarded with on such a you know daily basis, just with all the images everyone's seeing. And then I also think that um, something that really would benefit a lot of photographers who are even wanting to make good work is really honing their craft and uh, you know really honing their technical skills so that they're able to convey uh, exactly what they want to through their images. You know, since I see a lot of work through submissions and stuff like that, obviously the quality of the work varies a lot. And then there's even a lot of work you see that you can see the, you know, the photographer has a lot of promise. They, they have a good eye for things, but sometimes there's some pretty, um, pretty noticeable technical issues with the images that kind of prevent them from being what they could have been, whether that's because they, uh, you know, I would say the main thing I see with all the work I see is, and this is definitely something that I think has happened largely due to the way people consume digital photography is that most images out there are a bit too dark. Um, Some are very much too dark, but almost everything's a little bit too dark, particularly when you're thinking of how would this image go if you're going to then you know, make a, make a print of it, or how is it going to look if you just took the image as it goes and you're going to print it in a book, it's going to look very dark and muddy. And that, um, really stems from the fact that I think unlike back when everyone was in a dark room and you really kind of had to focus on what you were, uh, the process of what you were doing, you thought of once you took the, the photograph, then you had the negative and that wasn't, the end result, it was just the starting point. And then you had to take that negative and go and make a print from it. Now, since, you know, with color photographs that are taken digitally, right out of the camera, it looks kind of like an approximation of what you actually saw there. And a lot of people, I think, are kind of like, okay, that's that's good. That's pretty much all, all I needed to do. They don't realize that that also is just a starting point. And from there, there's a lot more that can be done uh, with an image, not in a way that you necessarily have to be editing it so you're trying to transform it into something it's not, but just the basic editing that you need to do to uh, adjust the contrast and the density and, you know, color correcting it so it actually, you know, really looks the best that it can um, for the photograph that it is. Something that came up a lot when I spent time as a musician was this sort of battle between two schools of thought, which was the sort of the technical player of an instrument someone who understood their theory understood the the instrument they were playing on a on a technical level and then there was the kind of the feel passion player where they played more from the heart and there would be um technical indiscretions left right and center but it would be about the kind of the emotion that they could put into what they were doing but even if they were sort of musically illiterate in a lot of ways you've obviously mentioned that you're um more of a technical person is it important to find that blend between the two where you kind of have to find your voice as much as you have to learn the language itself? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think the, obviously the best photographers out there are people who have enough technical expertise to create the work that they want to create without it being an encumbrance to them. And I think the same thing you're using that music analogy is really great. You know, I think there's a a lot of really wonderful music that's been made by people who are not very technical. They are really just kind of playing from the heart. And maybe they can really only play just well enough to, you know, to make the songs that they want to make. And, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that maybe if they were more technically proficient, they wouldn't have uh, created the interesting things that they did create. I just think with uh, photography in general, um, even if you're not a super technically savvy person and you don't have to get super into to gear or tech or anything like that, but just at least learning to, to use the equipment that you have well enough to, uh, to make the images that you want to make is just a, is a helpful thing because then it's something, once you kind of have that down, then you almost don't even have to think about it. It's just a second nature thing and you can kind of, go on and create the work you want to make, even if it's something that's not super technically oriented and, you know, be more free with it, but it at least gives you the basic uh, platform that you can work from without saying, oh man, like I took another image and it just didn't turn out. Right. 
Um, in terms of yourself, are there any genres that you don't personally shoot, but you do really enjoy other people's work in that genre? Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of stuff that uh, that other people shoot that I stuff I really. I'm I'm I'm, I'm generally a, a, someone who enjoys photography as a whole, um, as an art form. And there's lots of work that people make that is stuff I really appreciate, but is not necessarily something that I do a lot of shooting with myself personally. Um, I guess, like I said, my, my focus on what I shoot personally, there's, there's a, it's a fairly more limited range of kind of, kind of work that I'm making. Whereas like, I I do sometimes shoot some portraiture, but I'm not, not a real big, uh, you know, portraiture photographer that I do a lot of shooting Mm -hmm. with people. But that's something, I mean, I, I, I love a lot of really nicely done portrait work um, is, is something that's very interesting and appeals to me, but it's not, not work that I've necessarily felt super compelled to make myself. I've not ever been someone either who's done a lot of uh, studio shooting, whether it be with making still lifes or again, any kind of, uh, you know, portrait work. Not that I'm not able to do that. I mean, I have done that on some commercial basis as myself before, but it's just not something that, that I feel super drawn to myself. I would actually say the other, when I'm shooting a large format, usually it's for a very specific purpose, a project that I'm working on where I'm really, uh, you know, focusing on something. The last project I did that was a really big in depth, large format project was my blue water series about the Port Huron, Michigan area. I actually moved there while working on the project over two seasons. I, I rented a cottage uh, during the off season. Um, it's one of those places it's in Michigan. And so there's not a very super long uh, kind of summer holiday season. So they really only can rent these cottages that are up on uh, one of the Great Lakes, Lake Huron for maybe like two months is really the only peak season. And then after that, you can rent one of them during the off season for very affordably, just like the, the price of like a regular apartment. And so over two years, I, I moved up there during the off season and, you know, really made this in-depth project with an eight by 10 view camera where I was kind of looking at the place and what I thought about it and looking for images that were almost like uh, like requisite pieces of the puzzle to put together kind of my my view, my portrait of what this place is and how I see it. Um, whereas with my, my instant work, I shoot most of that kind of just as I'm going about my day to day, driving around, I see something, I shoot it, I shoot a lot on road trips. Um, so that's kind of stuff that's kind of more just incidental as I come across it, I'll shoot it. Um, yeah, I, I think I've, I've been kind of rambling on that. What was your no, original no, you're question? Good. I was, I, no, actually, I, I almost want to um, say a big thanks because you've pretty much segued perfectly into what I wanted to ask you. Um, so something I find massively interesting, um, and I've, I've certainly developed more of an interest in it since starting the podcast, is seeing the way that people break down their own images when it comes to their websites and the way that they categorize their work. And with yourself, it seems like geography plays a really big part in the way that you categorize um, the work that you do. Are you a different photographer depending on the location that you're in? Is it something where you sort of study the area, you study um, maybe the history of the area or even just kind of Google Earth search the area before you dive into a project? And how much of a difference does the geography make to who you are as a photographer? Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I do think, yes, geography is definitely um, a, a big factor in my work as far as it kind of relates to. I'm very interested in kind of the concept of place and how you as a photographer, uh, a certain place, kind of how you see it, what it means to you. I'm definitely someone who kind of believes that there's certain places that when you're in that place, it's giving you a certain experience on just a very visceral visual level that you, you're in this place and there's, you're seeing things. You're like, oh man, there's so many good things I'm seeing here that I, I really want to make images of. And then there's some other places out there that you might be hard pressed to find an image that would be interesting enough that you'd want to take it at all. So places that, that bring that out, that make you feel like you really want to create and make work are something that I'm obviously very drawn to. And that's actually what made me want to make that long-term project about that place is because I actually, I used to have a friend who, uh, who lived there and every time I would go to visit him, 
I was just always like, man, there's so, there's so much stuff around here that I want to shoot. It just really had a certain kind of mood and atmosphere. Um, and then there's also, like I said, I'm interested in the concept of place as, as you're even traveling around, you know, even coming across a place maybe you've never seen before and you're only going to be there for just a brief moment. Um, I do think ge- geography is an interesting thing and how it plays out. Um, there's actually an interesting, you're speaking about that. Some of my newer work that I made, uh, this, and I did a, a, like a two book that kind of go together that are both, they're called Instant Winner. And I shot one of them in Michigan, where is where I'm from. And then the other one in Florida, where I have some family in Florida. So I go down to visit them pretty much every uh, winter. And I'm interested in the same types of things, but there's the light and the atmosphere of the places during the same season are so totally different um, that the images that I've made in both places are quite different, but they're kind of the same subject matter. But the, the like I said, the the geography of the place really kind of informed what type of images there are to make just when it comes to, you know, like I said, the atmosphere, the light, what's available. And so the, the images that I made in Michigan during the winter are much more kind of, uh, they're more darker, moodier, more kind of melancholic. There's a lot of ones that have falling snow in them, which I, I use the flash on the instant camera gives you this thing where it kind of captures the snow as it's falling as little blurry dots. And then, um, thinking of the same stuff in Florida, it's much more, you know, there's this almost kind of perpetually bright glow to the sky with the way you have that, that much brighter light as you get down towards the equator. Um, and so like I said, similar subject matter that I'm interested in, but it, it, the results of what come out from it is, is very different. So that's actually really interesting you brought up that question because that's actually something I feel like I was directly uh, exploring that idea of how does geography affect the type of work you make with that project. It's just, it's been a, a weird side part of sort of figuring out the best way to approach talking to people that maybe I've never even had a, a remote conversation with in the past and how they approach their work. And a lot of a lot of interest, I think, in other photographers or any other creative is just in the way that they choose to set their their shop up and show you their shop window. Tells you a lot about how they want to be perceived, but also how they subconsciously work. Essentially, I think it's I think it's just a very interesting thread to pull on. And I'm kind of waiting for one day to get it with the wrong person and completely pull the jumper off, and it all goes wrong. But probably the hardest part about being any kind of creative is sort of self analysis because it seems to be that people either are way too happy with the work that they're producing and are unable to see the faults or that they can't see the strength for all of the weakness that they perceive. And they're kind of self-doubting constantly, which seems to be quite a common thing with um, especially photographers. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what do you feel is your biggest weakness as a photographer? Uh, my biggest weakness as a photographer is probably um, the fact that I don't spend enough time actually going through the work that I've already made. I feel like I'm an extremely prolific shooter. And so even just thinking about my uh, my instant work that I shoot a lot of, I mean, I have literally thousands and thousands of images that I've never even gotten around to scanning, let alone, uh, you know, finding a place for them and some type of body of work where they fit, even if they're images that I feel good about. Um, so that's, that's, I would say my, my biggest weakness is that I definitely will say though, as I've spent the last, um, since I started subjectively objective in 2015, um, I've honestly probably put a lot more focus into to building that project than I even have on my own work. But one thing it definitely has, um, I feel like helped with my own work is seeing so much work from other people and, and editing and curating their work is it's definitely made me uh, think a lot harder about the way that I want to edit and put together my own work um, than maybe I would have in the past. Because um, I, I will say as a general rule, after seeing so much work, photographers are generally not very good editors of their own work. They, uh, they sometimes... Uh, they have a tendency to some photographers really, they don't end up showing their best work. They kind of will mix some really good images they have in with some that really aren't that strong and maybe aren't working at all. Um, 
and maybe they had some kind of kind of broader conceptual idea that they felt like these images worked together, but they aren't necessarily working that way uh, when they show them to you. Or even thinking about people uh, when you do a call for entry, people submitting their work. Sometimes I'm familiar with the photographer who's submitting their work, and I'm thinking like, man, you have so many good images. Why did you Why did you pick these ones to submit? <laughs> um, but uh, so you you really never know. And then I agree. There's also I know I know some photographers myself personally, and they they make amazing work. But some of them they hardly ever want to show any of it because they never feel happy with it. They're ne- I mean, it's 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 great, amazing stuff. And they're always kind of like, no, nah, I just, I don't feel like it's quite good enough. And so I think there is, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. People who are maybe too afraid to put their work out there because they don't feel like it's good enough. And then people not uh, maybe being harsh enough with themselves as an editor and saying, you know, maybe this image, you really means something to you personally, but you just got to realize particularly within the context of this other work you're showing it as as part of a project, it it just doesn't work. I mean, definitely, I think when you're putting together a series, um, whether it's for a show or definitely for a book, sometimes maybe even the strongest image that you have could be your best image. If it doesn't work as part of that project, it's better to not include it than it is to bring the whole project down by including something that's just too much of an outlier, even if it's really great. Do you think that that's down to, I mean, sort of, sorry, to circle back, um, the idea of photographers being really bad editors of their own work um, in the sense of their image selection, do you think that's down to an emotional attachment to the time that the photo was taken? Or do you think potentially there's like one of the things I've noticed with myself personally is that I've always had a very fast turnaround time with my professional work. And then when I've gone back and looked at personal images that I've been sort of just as quick to put stuff out and just as quick to get stuff edited and, and to get through, I've actually realized going back that I've sort of completely glossed over what I think are probably the stronger images. And having that sort of latency before you put stuff out would actually give people a better sense of what's actually good that they've done. And they won't be so attached to the moment. They'll be more technical with the way they analyze the photo. Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of of both things sometimes. Yeah, I definitely think sometimes it's because people are very attached to uh, to the photograph because they remember uh, the time they were making it. Or sometimes it's actually, I think the problem is, and this is something that other art forms uh, definitely can run into as well, particularly when it comes to things that are very conceptual, is that sometimes maybe there's a very interesting concept behind the work but it's not necessarily being conveyed in a visual sense. I mean, if you have the most interesting idea in the world, but it's not an interesting photograph or it's not visually interesting as a project, you know, in that case, maybe it would be better if you wrote a, wrote an essay or a, a book about it or something like that, your idea, than if it's not really being conveyed as, uh, as visual art, which photography is. So I think from that standpoint, one of the most important things of making something that's a really successful photograph is it has to work, you know, visually as a, as a photograph without you saying anything about it. That's not to say that having more in information about why you made it or what this project's about, like that obviously can inform it more and give you even more interest in something. But if it doesn't work on a visual level by itself, it, no matter how much detail you want to give about it, it's it's probably never really going to come through to the viewer. And then what would be a British person's worst nightmare to be asked this? What do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer? Uh, probably my my technical ability as a photographer is something that I feel like I'm someone who pretty much knows what I want um, when I'm when I'm shooting something and uh, also is usually with whatever type of camera I'm working with has enough experience doing it and that I pretty much know can pre pre visualize how the photograph is going to turn out. So definitely working with a large format. I mean, I feel like when I take an image with my eight by 10 camera, I pretty much know exactly how it's going to look. And otherwise, if I wasn't confident, I probably wouldn't take the picture at all just because of the, the time and expense that goes into it. 
I'm, I'm more free when I'm shooting with my instant camera. I do take images that don't turn out the way I want them to, but I'd have to be honest and say that usually I know they're not going to turn out the way I wanted them to, but there's something that just feels like, ah, but I really want to try to get it anyway. But there's, that's part of the limit of that, uh, particularly with, particularly with the Fuji Instax camera or even with the Polaroid before that, which I shot a lot of while they still made Polaroid film originally, is that there's certain lighting conditions. Basically, once it starts to get um, into like after getting closer to sunset into the dusk period, the, the camera has a very limited uh, range that it actually is able to, as far as its shutter speed. And so it just gets so dark that it's really not possible to take a good photograph during that time period, no matter how much you want it to turn out, you just know it won't. Or if it's kind of really dark and overcast and not very contrasty, it just may not really turn out very well. And so it's kind of, I actually think of shooting with an instant camera as almost like having like a two piece band or something like that. Like there's only certain stuff you can do and (laughs) you can make really cool music like that, but it's, it's kind of limited in a way right. that, you know, you're, you're not going to have a horn section in it. You know, there's certain <laughs> things you just, you just can't do. And so you really have to kind of focus on doing what it can do the best that it can be for what you're trying to make with it versus saying, you know, there's certain images that are just never going to happen that way. Um, and that actually is something that recently I've been thinking about. I've been shot a lot of that, but I'm actually kind of feeling like I, it's time for me to start another longer term project using like a large format camera that I feel like I can really sink my teeth into that and, um, you know, make certain types of images that I, I'm not able to make now doing mostly uh, instant shooting. So you kind of see it as like the London Symphony Orchestra versus the White Stripes. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's some things that like the White Stripes can do that the London Symphony Orchestra can't do that are really cool. Um, but at the same time, sometimes having the freedom to feel like literally every possibility is open to you makes it so you'll never take the time to really explore um, kind of the confines. I feel like sometimes bumping up against the confines of what you're able to do with what you have to work with can be uh, really powerful in helping you yeah. explore um, things that you wouldn't have explored if the the whole world was open to you. Yeah. I think restriction, um, especially like I see with, uh, digital photographers, restriction of gear and restriction of, I think just the more possibilities you give people, especially in their developmental stage, the, the, the less able they are to really get anything substantial out of any of those possibilities. They tend to be so concerned with just using every toy in front of them that they don't ever learn to use one of them in a particularly effective way. Um, and, and having that, the the restriction actually makes them a lot better. And I guess obviously in a broader sense with you, that's that's with the actual technical aspects of the camera. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually, that's an interesting thing. You bring that up with shooting digitally. I, I totally feel that way myself. Like I said, as, as primarily someone who shoots film, um, that's something I actually like about, about shooting large format film or even shooting instant film is that I feel like when I large format filming, I mean, you have this, when you get a, an image that you're happy with, it's just the quality is so incredible and amazing that you're like, man, I really accomplished something like that. Like I really made a special photograph. You, you feel that sense of accomplishment. And then even, even though, uh, you know, instant photography is almost kind of more on the opposite end. It's almost kind of more of a lo-fi type of camera. I mean, it doesn't have this great resolutionary thing, although it does have this very specific, charming look to it that it really feels like, and particularly since it's this little object, when you get a good one, you're like, man, I really got this. It's this beautiful little object and it kind of speaks for itself. Whereas I feel like when I'm shooting digitally, I'm always feel kind of plagued by the fact that unlike with a film camera where I'm really only going to take one shot of the thing that I I want, unless I knew for some technical reason that it isn't going to turn out that I'll take another one if I still really want it. But with a fil- uh, with a digital camera, it always makes me feel like, well, I got this one, but like, why don't I try this other slight variation just because right. I can? I mean, there's, there's no cost to it. It just, it makes me feel, uh, makes me feel lazy as a photographer because everything is open to me. 
I don't feel the need to limit myself, but I feel less good for doing that because I feel like I'm not, I'm not putting the focus into really getting the one that I wanted. It makes me feel kind of doing more of just like, ah, I'm just going to take a bunch of stuff and see what turns out. But in the end, even if I got good images, I never feel the same personal satisfaction taking a really good digital image that I do with taking a, a really good film image because it doesn't have that same, I really, I really got it feeling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can completely see that. With your sort of actual shooting, the physical shooting, not, not what you kind of get from it, but the, the act of shooting, what's your worst habit when you're out with a camera? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe, uh, I'm, I don't know. That's a really, that's a good question. I I can't think of anything that I'm doing that I I personally think of. I guess is that bad of a habit that I have. Um, maybe uh, just the fact that I'm sure people around me. I'm I'm confusing a lot of random strangers by the things I'm taking. <laughs> um, I know I definitely sometimes you get the look of someone's kind of like, why is that person like you know looking at something at this gas station or, or whatever that it's, you can tell they're very confused by it. Um, it's a funny thing. I find shooting with uh, an instant camera. I don't feel like I run into this too much because it's a, the camera itself almost looks kind of like a plastic toy. And so it's probably pretty non-threatening. Um, and then shooting with my eight by 10 camera is a, is a wooden Deerdorf. And so it also, you know, it looks very old timey. Like it's something from a, from the 1800s, it doesn't seem like that's particularly intimidating to people. But I do remember when I was shooting with my uh, my four by five, which is actually like a a studio rail scenar, um, which is it's black and it, uh, it I guess it looks more intimidating to people. I remember particularly if you're ever doing any kind of shooting where you're by any type of industrial thing or just even out and about, you get a lot of people that frequently want to call the police on you. Because they think that you you have some type of some type of uh, sinister motives, which is very funny to me. <laughs> but uh, but it, I did notice that happening a lot because I feel like people, um, in general, if they don't understand why someone would be taking a picture of it, they uh, they immediately think the uh, the most negative possible uh, explanation for it. This has been absolutely fascinating. I really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to us. It's been, uh, it's definitely something where I've had definitely a motive coming in on some subjects because they're not ones I get to touch upon with many other people that have come on the podcast. I would like to ask you in terms of your preparation for going out and shooting and, and the act of going out and finding uh, the subjects that you want to shoot, how much of it is down to planning and how much of it is down to sort of hunting and following your intuition to find the subjects that you end up photographing? I would say it very much depends on the specific project. So if I'm working on, like I said, like a long-term project about a particular place, there's certain images that I know I want uh, a particular scene, but I may wait to, to the right day, the right time to find the exact, uh, you know, atmospheric and lighting conditions that I wanted to make that particular image. Um, and you have the luxury of doing that if it's a place that you're spending a lot of time in, you're make, making many trips going back, like you can keep waiting for it because you'll, you'll know eventually you'll, you'll get the right light and be able to get what you wanted. Whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum for me, if I'm shooting while I'm, I'm traveling or on the road or something like that, it basically, if you see something and it's good at that moment, you take it, but there's most likely you're not going to be able to come back at another time. So it kind of, it is what it is. Um, you get what you can. So I think I'm really kind of on both ends of the spectrum. I like making work where I can really plan everything out and get exactly what I was looking for. But I also like being able to make work that I'm discovering things in the moment. And uh, there was really no planning. You know, I'm definitely someone going back to maybe bad habits. I'm someone who will definitely pull my car over quickly on the side of the road if I see something that I really needed to shoot. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's something I, I'm willing to, if you, you, sometimes you see something out of the corner of your eye and you're like, man, I got to get that. And so you try to pull over as quick as you can, or maybe you have to turn around and circle back so you can go park in a spot where you can actually, uh, you know, get out of your car and get the shot that you needed. Um, 
I'm, ha- I'm, I feel like making those discoveries is always very exciting because, you know, it's, you're constantly finding new things, taking roads that you've never taken before, seeing what you find on them is, it's a, it's an enjoyable experience. Are you finding yourself coming back empty handed very often? Um, no, because I, I generally feel like there's always something for me to find. Um, but I do feel like some, some trips, um, it, it kind of depends on what, what the purpose of, of the trip was. If it's usually, if I'm going out to make photographs, I'll probably find something that I was looking for. Although sometimes less than others, but if you're just kind of, let's say you're on a trip and, um, maybe you were hoping to make photographs on the trip, but it's not really the purpose of the trip. You know, you're just traveling to see other things. Sometimes you really don't find, uh, what you're looking for. For instance, I, I'm someone who finds, although I, I like going to new cities and exploring them and stuff like that, a lot of times when I'm actually in a very um, super urban kind of built up city environment that there's, and I'm not really much of a, a street photographer, although I mean, there's, there's street photographers who, again, going back to other question, make work that I think is absolutely phenomenal, great stuff. I'm not someone who really seems to find those type of things just kind of out on the busy city streets. I'm more someone to find something in kind of the, the area where most people aren't going. That's kind of, you know, not, not something where there's a lot of people around. Um, right. So, uh, so yeah, just sometimes if, like I said, if I'm on a trip like that, I don't feel like I ever usually make many images like downtown in the heart of a city. There's just those type of images never really seem to, to happen for me. Um, so, but I, when I'm, when I'm going out to actually specifically make photographs, I usually try to find my way to a place where I'll find some stuff that, uh, that is interesting to me. Uh, human beings are really kind of bizarre. One thing that I've noticed over the years is that you get those types of people where they discover a, a new band or a movie that no one's ever heard of or whatever, and they kind of almost hold on to it. And they don't want it to be discovered. No matter how much they love that particular thing, they don't want it to be discovered and to be shared around because it, it, they kind of lose their intimacy, I guess, with being the person that like quote unquote found it. And I think film photography hit a stage where it had become so um, marginalized by the rise of digital and it had been... I think probably kind of shaded by the fact that people seem to misconstrue any technological advancement as being the next step. Therefore, you sort of discard the previous step, where in actual fact, there are just alternative ways to do things. Film photography seems to now be on, on something of a huge resurgence. And I've noticed there are some people that are very precious with film photography because they've been with it through the darker days. And now that it's becoming more and more popular, they almost seem to be slightly begrudging of the fact that it's becoming popular and that there are people that are sort of um, advocating for it in a way that, you know, they weren't there when it was much harder to advocate for it. As far as the resurgence of film photography goes, do you feel like it's generally speaking a positive thing from your point of view being a, a film photographer or is it something that kind of has the potential to cause problems? No, I don't, I don't see any problems in it at all. Personally, I'm definitely not someone who's ever, uh, begrudging anyone else making any type of creative work. You know, I'm not someone who always thinks, Oh man, like even if someone else is doing something that is in some way similar to something I've done, I'm not ever going to think, Oh man, this person, you know, stole my idea or anything like that. Like I said, I think everything out there has already been done before. All you can do is make, make your own work. Um, even if it's someone else, you know, I think of even with, uh, I've not done too much shooting out there, but I know out in the American West, um, with work I'm carrying stuff, you see certain places in a lot of different people's photographs. And so some people might say, Oh, well, like you can't take photographs here. It's already been done before. But like, I don't really think that's true. I think sometimes you see a photograph of a place that you've seen someone else take and you're like, Oh, that's actually it's of the same thing, but it has that person's own unique style and vision uh, to the image that they took of that place that has been photographed by, you know, thousands and thousands of other people. And as far as film specifically, um, the idea that more people are into it now, I mean, I think that's great just from the fact that it means they'll probably continue to make it uh, for longer. You know, if no one was using it anymore, the economics of it are going to just make it so the company 
who was producing the film is eventually just going to stop doing it. I mean, that's something Kodak has already discontinued the majority of the films that they used to make. Um, and had it not become a bit more popular recently, they may have discontinued all of them. So, you know, that's something that I see as, as positive. If there's enough people out there using it, it means that it's going to continue to be available for everyone. I mean, I, I was actually really happy to, um, to hear that uh, a couple of years ago that Instax was one of the most uh, popular sellers on Amazon um, as far as photography equipment. And I was like, great, that means that they're going to keep making this film for a long time that I like using. Because right. I was really sad when Polaroid stopped making film. And I was I was kind of confused by it too, because it was like, you know, I know a lot of people were still buying and shooting Polaroid film, but I think very much like Kodak did, with a lot of their films, they had this attitude that, well, we're still making money off it, but it's not anything like the money we used to make off it. So we're just going to close up shop and not do it anymore. Um, I, I like seeing more of the attitude that it seems like Fuji has had to it, where they continue to make films, even if they've gotten more expensive and they're uh, less widely available. For instance, 8x10 transparency film Provia that I like to use like I said, it's it's much harder to get a hold of now. I don't think they make it all year round. I think they must make like a couple batches a year and then it comes out. Um, and like I said, if the price of it's gone extremely high, but I'm glad that they're still making it. It's I'd better that happen than it just be totally not available at all anymore. Because um, I'm someone, like I said, I like I like consistency within my shooting. I like to be able to... I'm not... I know a lot of people in the film photography community, kind of what they like about it is they feel like it's kind of a, an ongoing experiment for them. They don't mind if their camera does something weird or has light leaks and stuff like that. That's kind of part of the experience to them, yeah. uh, which is great. Um, that's not something though that appeals to me at all personally. Like I said, I, I want to know exactly how my camera and my film are going to perform. So I know that if I take an image with it, it's going to turn out how I intended it to. I'm not someone who really likes to be surprised like that. So I remember when they, uh, when I heard they were discontinuing Polaroid film, I bought a hundred sheets of it and then saved it for a specific project. I took a road trip uh, with my sister over the course of four days, and I shot all of the all of the film over those four days, and I made a project out of it where I was actually intentionally shooting the film sequentially over the trip to kind of make it have that kind of a little bit of a narrative to it. So it's like, okay, here's the last picture I took. Uh, what's the next picture I can take that will feel like it's kind of continuing this road trip narrative journey. Right. And so, um, and so those are, I shot my hundred sheets that I had, I put it together as a project. I had originally made a, a like a little handmade book of it. Um, and then that was it. I never shot Polaroid film again because the idea that there was, I knew there was going to be a point where I couldn't get it anymore. Uh, that wasn't something that I wanted to go down that road where you're in the middle of making a project and then you're like, oh, well, the film is no longer available. I, I can't continue to shoot it. That, that idea was not something that appealed to me. So I, I would rather, like I said, I really, I've been shooting the, the Instax for years now. I really enjoy the fact that I can take an image that I made today and work it in together with a project from an image that I made 10 years ago, you know, when those two, because sometimes, sometimes when you're making work, you have a really preconceived idea of, okay, I'm making this project. It's about the specific thing. Here are the images I'm looking for to make this project. And then I have a lot of other work that it kind of, uh, maybe when you take the picture, it's not really connected to anything else specifically. But then maybe as you shoot more, you see, hey, I've actually got these other images that I really can see that they're kind of forming a connection. And then you decide to kind of focus on that and, and develop that out, flesh it out into a bigger project. And so being able to have that consistency of still having the medium you're working within available, you know, as far as the film is still available and you can keep using it, like, to me, I think that's that's great. So I'm really happy that film photography is had the resurgence that it's had and making that kind of thing possible. The most important thing, I think this has been one of my, my most favorite podcasts of all, but the absolute most important thing we have to do is make sure people know where they can go now to see all of the work that you do and the work that you curate. So please tell us your websites and all of your links where people can find you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so 
my website um, my, for my personal work. It's noahwaldeck.com. Uh, and also on Instagram, I'm at Noah Waldeck. Um, and then for my uh, publishing and gallery project, Subjectively Objective, subjectivelyobjective.com, and uh, at Subjectively Objective on Instagram. So both of them are pretty easy to find um, as far as that goes. It's been fantastic to talk to you. I really do appreciate you taking the time and for all your insights. Yeah, really great talking to you as well. Thank you very much for having me on.